If you have your Bibles, please join me in turning to Exodus chapter 25 this morning. As we've already mentioned multiple times this morning, today is our first Giving Sunday as a church family. It is a single Sunday in the year that we are setting aside to to prayerfully consider how to give above and beyond our normal giving and our normal tithing towards very specific needs within our church family. Uh, And in order to do this together today, we are just going to continue in our study of this Old Testament book of Exodus. And we're going to look at the first nine verses of chapter 25 together. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, Achaia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so you shall make it. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his holy word this morning. Friends, I love to preach God's word. I really, 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 really do. There's a particular joy for me in proclaiming the the beauty and the excellencies of Jesus Christ to my own heart and then letting you all listen in each week. I really do love to preach. But one thing that I, I do not prefer to preach about is money. Actually, I I don't know whether I prefer it very much because I have not done it very much. I think that over the last 18 years of pastoral ministry, I have have only preached one full sermon on giving on a Sunday morning, and that was over 10 years ago at Covenant Fellowship. But, But one of the reasons that I am at least hesitant to preach about money is because of how many people have the concern that the Christian church today only talks about money. That's a real issue. But as I have thought about it this week, I actually don't think that that is as valid a concern as some think or that it is a fair critique of the average church today. But rather, I think that it is because of certain pastors and their obsession over money and the ostentatious lives that they live that they have made it hard for the rest of us in the Christian church to talk about these things together. It it seems to me that that pastors with their $500 million fleet of jets to fly in, or their multi-billion dollar buildings, or, as you heard me share with you last year, the Brooklyn pastor who was robbed at gunpoint on a Sunday morning and had over a million dollars of jewelry taken from him and his wife on their person at church that Sunday morning. It seems to me that it is these situations 
that have apparently stolen our ability to speak honestly and biblically about money within the local church context without having to tiptoe around the topic. It, it seems to me that we've actually become overly sensitive to this and that we need to prayerfully and humbly and courageously and boldly recover an ability within the church to talk about money as a core matter of discipleship among God's people within the church. And I can say that very explicitly because of how God's word speaks about these things. Money and, and stewardship of God's gifts to us, they're a big deal in God's word. They are indeed a core matter of discipleship for his people. And because of that, church, I've been so thankful to God for you and for, for several of you and how you've come up to me and how you have shared with me how much you appreciate our sensitivity to talk about money, but how you have also shared that you do not think that we should be overly bashful about it and that we might need to talk about it more. And I, I don't know what that means for us. I don't know how often we are going to talk about money. I don't think much more than we currently do. But I do think that we should minimally talk about it in a bold way whenever God's word does. And today is one of those moments. According to our passage today, and, and according to God's word in many, many, many other places, our generous and sacrificial giving to God, it is a foundational way that we as God's people are to respond to the abundant grace that he has given to us. And that brings us to our main idea this morning. The, the main idea for our sermon today is simply this. Because of the abundance of God's grace, God's people can give abundantly back to him. Because of the abundance of God's grace, God's people can give abundantly back to him. And we just have two points this morning. Point number one, abundant grace. And point number two, abundant giving. Let's begin with the first point. Point number one, abundant grace. The, these nine verses in chapter 25 are not very difficult to summarize this morning. Verse two says, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. So, so Moses is to take up an offering and then it gives very clear instruction on what the contribution for that offering is to be. And, but as we study this text, we, we need to not just see the expectation and the invitation to give. Church, we need to see the, the foundational motivation for the giving that happens. If you remember back in chapter 20 when God gave the Ten Commandments, he began with those amazing verses about how he is the God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He began with his grace and his mercy and his redemption, and it was out of that motivation and out of that truth that the commands flowed. And folks, even though it is a little less explicit in our text today, we can find the same motivation here for our giving. In verse 2, God instructs Moses to tell the Israelites to take for him a contribution, but then it says, from every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And in that, we see the motivation. We, we see that God expects his people to to respond to the work that he has done for them. He expects there to be a, a stirring of their hearts and souls to respond to the gracious work in their lives. Daniel Hyde says about this, about this 
part of this text. He says, those whose hearts have been stirred by the plagues on the Egyptians, the exodus from Egypt, and the Red Sea crossing would want to give freely back to God. That's the expectation of God in this text. Actually, when he speaks in verse 2 of our hearts moving us to give, God is quite honestly not really thinking that to not give is an option. No, how could the Israelites' hearts not be moved to give in light of what he has done for them? See, listen, in, in God's word, it's, it's very clear that those who are redeemed by the grace of God, for those who have experienced his grace, heartfelt worship and diligent obedience, they're not opposites. No, they go hand in hand. Later in chapter 35, it says about all of this, it says, all of the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, they brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. So the work is commanded, it says, by God to be done, but yet it would never have gotten done without the contributions of the people. And so they had to bring them, but it says that they brought them as a free will offering. Church family, duty and delight are not opposites in the Christian life. Worship and obedience, they go hand in hand. Satisfaction in God and all that he has done for us, it leads to a sacrifice of praise before him. For for those who, in verse 8, God has made it possible to dwell in their midst, that should blow us away. He is able to dwell in our midst by his grace. For those that that is true for, oh, there is no drudgery in our duty. No, we love to respond to him, don't we? Because of the abundance of God's grace, God's people love to give abundantly back to him. Friends, consider all that God has done for you. Your entire life is marked by his grace, is it not? All that you have comes from him. It all belongs to him in the first place. And we actually see that reality in a very interesting way in our text today. When, when God says in verse 3 that the, the contributions were to be gold and silver and bronze and all of these amazingly beautiful and valuable things, do you know what we should be asking as God's people? We should be reading that and we should say, where in the world are all of these amazingly beautiful and, and valuable things going to come from? Moses is, is speaking, God is speaking to a nation of people that has been in slavery for 400 years. They haven't even owned their own lives, let alone gold and silver. Where, where are these treasures going to come from? But, but as we read this text, we must read it in the context of the whole book of Exodus. And we should quickly remember what God has done for the Israelites. We should remember back in Exodus chapter 3 when, when God first said to Moses that, that when he brought them out of Egypt, he would give them favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. And listen, that they would give them their treasures and then in Exodus chapter 12, after they leave, it says that these things have happened. It says, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. It says this, thus they plundered the Egyptians. 
So what we see here is that, that God has already given them all of these things. The, the treasures that he is asking his people to give back to him with a, a happy heart are the very things that he has miraculously placed in their hands from Egypt. It all belongs to him anyways, doesn't it? And therefore, Christian, to not have our hearts be moved with gratitude and with abundant generosity in response to his grace, to not do so is to actually distort his grace. It's actually to distort it and to begin to think that the, the blessings in our lives, the, the strength that we have, the time that we have, the abilities that we have, the money that we have, even the ability to choose what to do with it, it distorts God's grace when we think those things belong to us. Apart from his grace, the Israelites and we would still be in slavery. And there would be no freedom to choose any of these things. So, so it all comes from him. He has plundered the Egyptians for their sake. And he is now inviting them to give back freely to him out of that act of blessing. You know, I saw a video recently of a pastor who I listened to, and I think he's an effective gospel preacher. His name's Charlie Dates from Chicago, and he was teaching about some of these very things. And in the middle of his sermon, he, he brought up a, a young man, maybe, I don't know, 12 or so years old, and he, he put a plate in his hand, and under the pulpit, he had a stack of cash. And he brought it out, and he starts putting bills on the plate, saying he's giving it to the young man. And I don't know whether the, the bills were fives, tens, or fifties. I have no idea. But he just kept putting them on, just piling them on. They were like falling off the plate. The young man's eyes was like, oh. And some of you are wishing that I had done the same illustration here today. I'm sorry that I did not. But it's just filled up. And then he says, all of that is yours. And then he says, oh, wait, can I have this one? And the young man was just like, yeah, you can have it. And he actually was like pushing the plate back to him. You can have all of it. It's your money. Friends, that is what we have in Christ. That young man knew what he had just been given was grace from the pastor. He had been given something that was not originally his. It's the same with us. We have been given so much grace and so much abundance in God's grace that when he says, give back to me, it should be like, yes, Lord, all of it. It's all yours anyways. If you hadn't put it on the plate, it wouldn't even be in, in my reach. But you have given me these things. Church, listen, all of this has massive implications and applications way beyond Mount Sinai. What we're studying here today speaks directly into our hearts as well because just as God has plundered the Egyptians and given great riches to the Israelites, so he has plundered our enemies and given an abundance of riches to us as well. In fact, earlier this week I was reading in Mark chapter 3, where Jesus speaks about himself and he describes himself as the strong man who he says is plundering the enemy for his people. Christian, apart from God's grace, all would be lost for you. Apart from God's grace, you would be lost and without hope. There's, there would be no light in your dark world. You would have no freedom. You would have no strength. You would have no life. But now all of that has changed. Listen, the work that Jesus has done for us through the gospel, it's so rich, it's so abundant, it's so full that he describes it as plundering our enemies just as he did for the Israelites in Egypt. Christian, consider what you have in and through Jesus Christ this morning. This Jesus who willingly set aside the glory and the riches of heaven. 
This Jesus who became poor for you and for me, he took the form of a servant. He became obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross, and then who rose victorious from the dead. Anyone who puts their faith in this Jesus, and this room is filled with men and women who have, anyone who puts their faith in this Jesus, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that they are now blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Christian, you are rich. You, are, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Christian, if you put your faith in this Jesus... You know the incredible riches of regeneration. You were dead, but you've now been made alive and are a new creation in Christ. Christian, if you put your faith in this Jesus, you possess the gold of justification. You have been justified. You have been declared righteous, not guilty by the judge of the universe. You hold golden pardon papers in your hand. No one can condemn you. If you have put your faith in this Jesus, Christian, you possess the jewels of purification and expiation. God has washed you clean. It doesn't matter what sins you have done that heap shame upon your soul. It doesn't matter what sins others have done to you that heap shame upon your soul. He does not look at you in that way anymore. His grace has washed you clean. Christian, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you have the precious stone of sanctification. You have been set apart for good purposes. He has called you to himself, and you are being made more and more like Jesus every day. God himself is investing into your life and making you more holy. Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you have the treasure of adoption. You are no longer an orphan. You're no longer cast out. You're no longer homeless. You belong to a family. If you know Jesus, then you have been placed into a local church to belong to, and you have a home for eternity even beyond that. Christian, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you have the, the future stability that comes by having the Holy Spirit himself reside within you. He will help you to persevere. Your retirement plan is looking pretty good these days, friends. And I don't mean that you have the perfect 401k or the perfect house that you hope for, but your future is bright. Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you have accrued an abundance of peace and hope and joy. You don't need to live in fear, financial fear or any other kind of fear. You don't need to be anxious. You you are secure in him. The Holy Spirit lives within you. 2 Peter chapter 1, he has given you everything that you need for life and godliness. Hebrews chapter 4, you have access into the very throne room of God. Romans chapter 8, because of the work of Jesus, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are so rich in him. We have an abundance of grace in him. He has so plundered our enemies that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's glorious, isn't it? Our souls are come alive to it. Our hearts be moved by it. And that brings us to our second point. Point number two is abundant giving. Now in order to, to fully appreciate all that is going on here, uh, we need to take a minute to consider who God is and, and how he could have gone about creating this building, the tabernacle, for himself. I mean, he's God, right? 
He did create the universe ex nihilo, out of nothing. He could have just spoken. He did not need to take up an offering in order to, to build this tabernacle. But I think we can go even farther than that. Think about how the Israelites got these treasures, like we just saw. God enabled them to plunder the Egyptians. But listen, when that happened, there's no reference in the text that the plundering that happened was for the tabernacle. God could have said, ask the Egyptians for the treasures, and when they give them to you, put them all in a big treasure chest, fill up a few chariots and bring it out of Egypt, and earmark it for my tabernacle, which will come later on. He could have done that, and I'm sure the Israelites would have been very happy to do so. But it is, in fact, the opposite of that. In the passages that we read earlier, it's actually, it actually says that when they plundered the Egyptians, the treasure was for them. It says that they put the treasure on their sons and on their daughters. God actually says, you shall not go out from there empty-handed. God God gave this treasure to the Israelites. He, He provided for their needs first. He could have just created the tabernacle by speaking. He could have earmarked the plunder for himself, but he didn't. He allows his people to possess these things. He he blesses each of them. Personally, they they each increased in their belongings through what God had done for them in Egypt. But then he asked them to give out of the abundance. Why? Well, here's one reason. Because God loves to involve us in his work. He loves to involve his people in the good work that he is doing in this world. and, And what a privilege and joy it is for us to participate in it. But here's another reason. He did this because he loves us and he cares for our You might think that it's kind of cruel of God to give these possessions and then ask for the Israelites to give some of them back just a few days later. Like what kind of strange manipulation is that on God's part? But this is actually one of the most loving things that God can do for them, for the Israelites and for us this morning. Listen, God knows that our hearts are constantly trusting in things that are not worthy of our trust. God knows that we tend to idolize and worship things like money which do not deserve our trust or our hope. He knows that we try to find our happiness and our peace in the gifts that are given rather than the giver of those gifts. But listen, Jesus is the treasure of greatest value, amen? He is the pearl of greatest price. And so when God calls his people to give back, he's not trying to harm them or steal from them. No, God has promised again and again that he will provide for our every need. There is no reason to fear. When God calls his people to give, he is actually fighting for your joy and for your peace. Christian, this is so true from God's word. To to invite the Israelites to give here and then throughout his word, it's one of the most loving things God can do for his people. It It is his loving way of gently pushing back the idolatry of our hearts. It's his way of cultivating true hearts of worship among his people. And it's not because he needs worship. He doesn't. It's because we need true worship. Church, our hearts are happy when we are not trusting in empty things, but trusting in God himself. Our happiness is dependent upon not going after those things, but finding our strength in him alone. And so he desires to orient us back to himself again and again and again. And church family, we need this, don't we? 
particularly here in America, we need this. And it's gracious of God to give it. Particularly in this culture that we live in where there are so many things that, that entice our affections and that invite our trust and our hope. We, we love to cling to things in this world for our security and to money in particular. We claim that we don't worship money or put our trust in money, but, but the way that we think about it, if we're honest, the, the way that we hold tightly to it, the way that we spend so much of it, the way that we, that we cringe whenever there's an invitation to give it away, all of those reveal, if we're honest, that we're finding a whole lot of hope and happiness and peace in our money. And so how good of God to regularly, consistently invite his people to give back to him not because he needs it, but because he wants our hearts to treasure him above all things. Did, did you know that there are more than 400 Bible passages that talk specifically about money and many others that talk about stewardship before God as well? Why so many? Because God loves and cares for you that much. The way that God's word speaks about our money is so consistent throughout the Old and in the New Testament. It is consistently calling us to, to put our hope in him, not in what we possess. It is a foundational part of Christian discipleship. Listen, the picture in the New Testament is one of such radical discipleship and radical generosity that it almost rivals what we see in the, New, in the Old Testament here in the book of Exodus. In the New Testament, those that are saved by the abundance of God's grace in the gospel through Jesus Christ, they are so eager and joyful to give back. It says in Acts chapter 4 that they sold their houses and their land in order to give to the work of ministry. There's actually a lot of evidence in church history from the first and second century that as the church grew, they actually needed to buy land and to buy buildings in order to house the Sunday gathering because they could not fit in the houses any longer. Paul speaks of the generosity of the Philippians and he says that they gave sacrificially even out of their poverty. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul speaks of giving specifically to the work of ministry within the local church that we are a part of, which should be our priority. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he speaks about how God loves a cheerful giver. Church, this is Christian discipleship. God's word suggests that if it is not the posture of our hearts to give back to him, that there might actually be something wrong with our hearts. If it's not a posture to give back to him generously and sacrificially, we might not fully understand the riches and the abundance of grace that he has given to us. A Christian heart of generosity, it reveals a heart that has been transformed by the generosity of God's grace. And it's all by God's design. Now, it's not because God needs our money for global missions. It's not because God needs our money to care for the poor or to support that foster family in our home. It's not because God needs our money to pay off land or a future building mortgage. No, it's a fundamental part of Christian discipleship because it's one of the primary ways that we are to consistently orient our hearts back to him who is the treasure of greatest value, the pearl of greatest price. And friends, I, I, love, I love how it's not only to orient our hearts in worship, but it is also to give us the remarkable privilege of participating in the work of ministry like we saw a moment ago. I love how in verses six and seven of our text, God says that they are to give all of these treasures for the tab tabernacle and he ties reasons to some of them. They are to give oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil, onyx stones for the ephod and for the breast piece. 
They, listen, they don't even fully know what the tabernacle is yet. They have no idea what these things are for or what God is speaking about. But God is telling them that he's going to use their gifts, their generosity, to bring about something very, very special among them. Verse 8, he is going to dwell in their midst. And Christian, there are so many things that God desires to do in this world through our generosity as well. So much of it can't even be seen yet. But imagine with me today how our generosity might be used by God to do great things for his kingdom. Yes, part of it, Lord willing, is going to be used to pay off this land, and that does not actually feel very exciting. It's kind of boring. It's just a piece of land. But think about what an eventual building will enable us to do as a church family in this community. Think about how we might be the, the body and the presence of Christ to the community around us. Think about he, how he might be made known, how his glory might be seen and celebrated in and through us in the days to come. Church, God is calling us constantly, not just this morning, to radical generosity with our time and with our energy and our homes and our families and our careers and our money, all for his glory, all for the advance of his name. God desires, Redeemer family, God desires to use every single one of us through our faithful giving back to him. He desires to use us for glorious things. I love how in Exodus chapter 36, 11 chapters later, it talks about how the people responded to this invitation to give. It says that everyone with these resources brought them and they brought them eagerly and abundantly. And then listen to these words. It says they still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary, they had to leave their work. They came, each from the task that he was doing, they came to Moses and they said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. They brought so much to him. So Moses, it says, gave a command and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp. It says, let no man or woman do anything more for the contributions for the sanctuary. So the people, they were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Oh, man. Were their hearts moved by the grace of God? They had to be told to stop bringing their worship. I want my heart to be like that. With my time and with my money and with my energy, I want to be so amazed by the grace and mercy of my Savior that I respond by giving back till there is no more need around me. Redeemer family, let's be that kind of church. Let's be that amazed by the gospel that we respond in that radical of a way. It actually, Redeemer Fellowship, you are this kind of church. I just need to say thank you. Because you have given so faithfully to the work of ministry here at Redeemer Fellowship. Even separate from the land purchase last year, you have given in a way that has allowed gospel ministry to be done so effectively locally and extra locally in a really significant way. Listen, over the last five years, we are not a large church, we are not an impressive church. Over the last five years, because of your faithful generosity, we have given over $375,000 away to other ministries in our area to needs within our church, to global missions, to other churches around the world. Thank you. 
for your generosity. Thank you for giving abundantly back to the Lord. And then, oh man, and then there's your generosity towards the purchase of the land last year. Let me just take a minute and remind you of what God did through you, Redeemer family, last year. Early in 2022, I've been doing a lot of praying and a lot of of research about existing buildings and and areas in our, our, our area, plots of land that were available. And I was doing that because as much as we love our relationship with the independent school, and we do love it, and it is serving us, and we could be here indefinitely, we do feel a little bit vulnerable. Because if something was to happen to that relationship and this place was no longer available, there would not be many options in this area for a church our size. And we feel that vulnerability kind of all the time, but particularly on a morning like this when the auditorium is not available and we're all stuffed in here. I promise you, I didn't plan it that way. (laughs) It just happened. I didn't plan the Giving Sunday for the day that we would be in here. But it's a good reminder of how badly we need and could use a building. And so last year I was doing all this research and as I was praying through it, a a piece of property became available. There are only three in our area that could ever be used sufficiently for a church and one of them became available. And so we talked about it as a team and we came to you as a church family and we did not in any way presume that the Lord had this piece of land for us and we did not want to campaign for it. We did not want to have a sermon series leading us up to an offering. We just told you about it. We said, here's an opportunity. Please pray and fast with us over this. We're going to take up an offering in one month's time. And then we prayed and we fasted and we took up this offering. And the land was listed at $1.2 million. And we needed to raise at least $400,000 in order to afford the payments on the remaining balance. And we prayed and we fasted and you gave. And by the time all was said and done by God's grace through all of your lives, we raised $658,000. Amen. Thank you. And we've continued to pay it off. And at this point, we owe $470,000 till it is fully ours. Redeemer family, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving abundantly back to God. There is so much grace on your lives. Thank you for being a church that reflects what we see here in Scripture. Thank you for loving Jesus as much as you do. May God grow us in our love for him and grow us in our sacrificial giving back to him. Thank you for being a church that reflects what we see in God's word so clearly. Just think about all that God might do in and through us as we continue to respond to him in this way. Not because we need to earn God's favor, but because of the abundant grace that he has already given. Amen.